Thanks, Jeff. Good morning. Um, yeah, I was not supposed to be preaching this morning originally, so a couple weeks or a couple months ago, I reached out to Jason, you know, your former lead pastor. I was like, hey man, I could really use a rest. Could you preach on February 11th? He's like, yeah, sure, no problem. I got you. A couple, couple of days later, I get a text from Nate. Hey, Steve, can you preach for me on February 11th? I was like, why? He's like, well, Jason's now out of town. I'm like, what, what are we doing? <laughs> I thought I left this ridiculousness behind when we planted. But uh, be that as it may, it's, uh, it, it, a rest will come eventually. No, it is always a joy to be here. It feels like coming uh, home. Me and Kelsey grew so much here at this church. We owe a lot to Portico. So... Uh, Let's go ahead and and read the text, shall we? So we'll be in John chapter 12, if you have your Bible with you. Uh, The words will also be on the screen. Uh, John chapter 12, verses 20 to 26. And I'll read the passage, and we'll dive in. John, John 12, verse 20 through 26. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And Jesus answered them, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. This is God's word. So, as Jeff mentioned, y'all are in this high-level series, which I love, just a very simple, clear outline on what does it mean to know and follow Jesus, hear, repent, believe, follow. And of course, your pastors gave me the one that sounds the most negative, like, repent. You know, it's like, they want me to come here and do that. Um, But... I think that's how a lot of us view repentance, I think. It's this, uh, it's this thing that only guilt-ridden people do, right? They just never clear their conscience. They're burdened by religious guilt. Or it's something that God gives us, but it's to you know, keep us down. It's to keep Christians from having fun. That's how a lot of us view repentance. But uh, repentance in the Bible, uh, and the most succinct way to describe it, uh, the, how the Bible puts it, is just to change. Repentance means to change. Or in a more detailed lens, repentance means dying to self and living to God. And maybe this sounds irrelevant or like it doesn't maybe have much impact on your material relationships, but I just consider something as something like this. So uh, a while ago, a couple uh, came to me and they were describing one of their fathers who was creating a lot of issues in their family. And what they said was, they were just like, you know, if dad would just change. Right? Like we tell him, you, you, can't, you can't talk to mom like that. Right? You can't treat your children like that. Like if you would just, like just a little bit, if you would just change, our family would be so much more happy. And that's another way of saying, if only he would just die to himself, if he would just die to what feels natural to him or what feels true to himself, Right, being aggressive and controlling, and live to God, which always living to God always means love for other people. They're saying, "I just, I wish you would live a life of repentance." And so, repentance, while it can be really hard, it is a it is a grace that God gives you 
to form you into a person of love. And so that, that's the main idea that, that we're saying in this passage, is, is that repentance, it's a grace God gives us to form us into people of love. And so we'll see this, I will just look at it three ways in this exchange with uh, Jesus and his disciples and some Greeks. And so uh, let's, let's look at it this way. Repentance is all of life, it's difficult, and it's beautiful. Okay, so repentance is all of life, it's difficult, and it's beautiful. All right, so first number one, repentance is all of life. Now, John doesn't record Jesus using the word repent. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that is Jesus' stump speech, right? Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. John, instead, he, he captures Jesus using other language to describe the same idea. And here in this passage, Jesus is talking about what it means to follow him. And how he describes knowing him and being known by him is a, a wide door and a narrow road. A wide door and a narrow road. And you see this because, so in Jesus' context, to receive an offer of apprenticeship from a rabbi, you had to be of elite status. Be the equivalent of you had to graduate, graduate summa cum laude from MIT or Harvard, or Harvard and have already started your own business. Right? But here, some Greeks ask, we want to see Jesus. And the Greeks are nobodies or enemies in Jesus' day to the people of God. And then uh, see how Jesus says in verse 26, if anyone serves me, if anyone, that's another way of saying, yes, like these Greeks, they are welcome to come and be loved by me and follow him if, if anyone. And so it'd be like today if Harvard suddenly was like, hey, uh, this upcoming fall, anybody who wants to enroll as an undergrad, you know, freshman can come in full ride, doesn't matter your credentials. Okay, absurdly wide door because Jesus, he's always had the most open arm invitation to come and be loved by him. So whether you are a CEO in Silicon Valley or you are a janitor who scrubs that CEO's office, their office floor, okay, if you are filled with so much self-hate that you wonder if anybody could love you, or if you're filled with so much pride you think you're the only one worthy of love, Jesus says, you can know me. If you're someone the far right opposes, like an LGBTQ activist or a socialist, Jesus says, you can come. If you're someone who the far left opposes, like an election denier, or a racist, or a member of the NRA, Jesus says, you too can come. Jesus, he, he is so inclusive, he offends those who put all our welcome on the front windows of their businesses, <laughs> right? Because he's always had the most open arm invitation, anyone can come. It, 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 like, it should be offensive with just how open-armed he is. So knowing him, it is a wide door, and yet, what is on the other side of this wide door once we come to him? So see, he continues in verse 26. So if any, anyone serves me, anyone can come. He must follow me. And he describes what it looks like to follow him in verse 25, where he says, whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Meaning, as you follow me, you walk the cross-shaped pattern of living that I did. Okay, not living for self, but loving and love for God and neighbor. And here, Jesus, he's describing salvation. So you come to Jesus through the initial wide door of repentance. Jesus, please receive me only by your grace, only by what you've done through your life, death, and resurrection. Okay, you enter the door of Jesus' kingdom through repentance. Anyone can come, but once you are through that door, then it's the, the narrow road of ongoing repentance, right? This cross-shaped life of dying to self 
and living for other people. And this is really important, I think especially for the American church. And for some of you, you may have never heard this before, but trust like somebody has. And just if you've grown up in America, you've, you've been shaped by this. And a lot of us have been shaped by this idea that the salvation of Jesus, it's primarily past and future, right? So believe what Jesus has done, past tense, so that you can be in heaven when you die, future. That is absolutely true, and it's incomplete. Because for Jesus, salvation, it's not just about what he's done and the new earth he's bringing about, but it's about walking in that grace, okay, to become a person of love. You all, I believe you all just went through Galatians, right? No other gospel. Paul's harping on, okay, it's, it's through Christ alone that you're in God's family. And then in chapter 2, Peter's being a racist. And he says, because of the gospel, here's how you walk that you're made new. And so for Jesus, it's not just, he cares very much about the question, what if you die tomorrow? But he equally cares about the question, what if you live? What if you live tomorrow? Like, what kind of person are the people most connected to you going to encounter? Are they going to encounter someone who is bitter checked out, keeps a long record of wrongs, or are they going to encounter someone who's gracious and filled with other-centered love? Because for Jesus, like the end goal of the spiritual life isn't just inner peace. It's not even just knowing more about the Bible, as important that is. The, the end goal of all these things is to shift over time from a me-first approach, it's all about me, my needs, and if I don't get what I want, I'm going to let you know about it, to that of agape, other centered love. And so as we think about here, repentance being all of life, just a question for you is, if you've already received that initial invitation of Jesus to come to his family by grace, now as you walk in that grace, one way to think about it may be, if somebody who knows you really well, they weren't, they weren't to see you for five years, and then you guys were to hang out for a week or so, like five years from now, would they be thinking to themselves, wow, you, you gossip a lot less than you used to. You use way less of a harsh tone with your spouse or children than you used to, and you're far more gentle. You're far less consumed with status than you were the last time I met you. You're, you're far more uh, invested in your local church than you used to be. Because repentance, it, it's all of life. God, he gives you grace, and then just like a parent who loves their child by grace, that love is meant to grow that child into someone of other-centered love as they get older. Okay, so that's number one. Repentance, it's an all-of-life lifestyle, dying to self, living to God, and it's a grace. Number two, repentance is, it is difficult. It is painfully difficult. And we see that in this passage and then zooming out to its larger context because a big reason, so this is at the Feast of the Passover, so Jesus is, uh, I mean, his death is, is looming. And, but at this point, Jesus is still relatively popular in his ministry. And so that's why the Greeks want to see him. They're like, I've heard about this guy. I want to see him. And so Jesus, I mean, in the beginning of his ministry, he has crowds that swarm him. And this makes sense. If there's someone who always provided free, really good food and better health care than any modern doctor and was a captivating speaker, like, I'd want to be around him all the time too. Like, hey, we're, we're friends, right? But the more people begin to see what Jesus is all about, this whole, I'm not just going to like add some God power to your existing agenda for life. But if anyone is going to follow me, they need to lose their life. And if you hate your life in this world, you'll keep it for eternal life. People are like, mm, no, not going to have that. And at the end of Jesus' life, I mean, all that's left by his side when he's at the cross are a few of his female disciples, his mother, and John, who 
uh, who wrote this gospel, right? Because repentance, like self-denial, it's, it's really hard. And there's a book I recently read called uh, Death, to De- Death to Deconstruction by Josh Porter. He's a punk, punk rock artist, and so it's a provocative title because he's a punk rock artist, right? And he, but so he, he grew up in the South, and he went through a lot of church hurt, crisis of faith, like the whole thing. And he wrote this book, and in this book, he, it's, it's, a, it's kind of an edgy read, but it's really helpful for, for a lot of folks, especially in our context. And he, he talks about these five predators that contribute to people leaving the faith. And he says, number one is, in no particular order until the last one, okay, the, um, we have number one, biblical literacy. Right? So if you, don't, if you think the Bible is mainly just a list of do's and don'ts, it's, it's a moral guidebook, and you don't know how to interpret it, then you know, when you start reading about things like polygamy and slavery and violence, and it looks like it's telling us to mistreat women, you know, for a lot of people, it's like, mm, I, I, can't, I can't deal with this. And so they throw out the scriptures in the Christian faith. Uh, number two would be the problem of evil, right? So how could, if God is all loving and so powerful he could stop pain if he wanted to, why is there so much hurt in the world? And for a lot of folks, when you don't, when you can't, when you don't know how to walk with that, with Jesus and in community, it just becomes too much. How could I worship or bow my knee to a God like that? Uh, number three would be a politicized faith. So survey after survey will show uh, people outside the church, they see Christians wed themselves to a political party, right, to the same degree that anyone else will wed themselves to a political party, and show the same level of belligerence and emotional up and down and none of the enemy love that, that Jesus modeled and taught to his disciples. And this is true on both the right and the left, by the way. And they say, I just, you know, why, what's so different about that faith, right? I'm either going to leave or I'm not going to enter in the first place. Number four, hypocrisy. don't think much more needs to be said there, okay, whether it's Christian leaders or uh, people in the church. And then here, well, I think all of that's helpful. Here's where he's so helpful. He says, number five, the, the final predator is self-denial. And he says, this gets everybody, like all political stripes, all temperaments, rich, poor, because if you learn how to read the Bible and you make it through tragedy with your faith intact and you can get over the politicians and the hypocrisy, everybody has a really hard time with this call of Jesus to deny yourself. And no, no less in our culture, right, which is always saying, be, be true to your deepest desires. Because, because self-denial, and if, if you've never felt this, right, because self-denial, it, it is so hard. And so I have a, a friend who's a leader in a, uh, they're a leader in a big church, and their church recently went through a sermon series and a teaching series called Jesus is Lord, where they talk about, right, if Jesus is king, right, and he has saved you by grace, like, here's how you'll tithe a lot more generously. Here's how you'll show enemy love. Here's how you'll channel your sexuality. Uh, here's what Jesus says about the church family. It should be as important as your nuclear family. Right, so challenging teachings that Jesus gives when it comes to denying yourself living to God. And 300 people left the church as a result of this series. And let's not point fingers. Okay, but I think this is just, it's such a picture. And I think in a lot of ways, these people are being honest because it is so easy to like just to say, yes, I believe in Jesus and I believe the Bible is the word of God. But to actually change, right, like with your body and your resources, it is, it is hard. 
And so as we think about uh, applying this, so first, and this may sound counterintuitive, but for those of you with children, okay, probably or hopefully your number one desire for your children is for them to know that they are loved by Jesus and for them to know Jesus. Something I would, I would encourage you guys on is a lot of parents are terrified of this, and you know I, I am too if I think if I look deep enough, but if your child ever gets to a place, maybe soon, it might be way later, where they're like, you know, I'm seeing this call of Jesus to self-denial and living to God, and I just, I just don't know that I can do it. That looks really hard. That, that's actually a good thing because it means they're seeing the real Jesus. It means they're not going to be following a Jesus rooted in delusion. It just says, do whatever. I mean, my goodness, he's filled with so much kindness and compassion. Hopefully that's always the, mo- the biggest thing we see. But it means they're seeing the real Jesus. So that, that's it's actually a good thing. Right? And every church community needs to, needs to be honest with this. And uh, So second, for not just for children, but for you. I, so I was thinking about in this area, maybe what's one of the biggest areas we have the hardest time denying self in? And so for those of you, you've already walked through the wide door of initial repentance. Like, yes, I need your grace to, to save me. Walking the narrow road, I think one of the biggest areas we have a hard time is the area of control. I think especially in this area where, for the most part, people here are of means, very successful, great planners, uh, all of which, by the way, are part of the image of God in you, that ability to anticipate the future and plan for it. But what happens is the, these visions we have for our lives, they turn from desires to demands, and we become white-knuckled with them. Right, so my career needs to go this way. I need to have a child in this time frame. If I have a child, they need to turn out this way. My spouse needs to behave this way. Okay, my, my income, my house, my lifestyle, it needs to be this way. You see, all of these ways are not practicing self-denial. We're living in open-handed surrender to God. And so one of the ways that you know that you're walking in this pattern of, right, the repentance being a grace that God gives you to, to become a person of love through self-denial living in God is when something doesn't go as you want, it's not that you don't lament. Goodness. Um, it's not that you don't cry out to God and weep with people in your community, but if you find yourself, if the main response is just constantly ruminating, you're just constantly thinking about like, why don't I have this or why does this person have this and I don't, or it's bitterness, or anger, or you just you curve in on yourself, it's, it may be a sign you're not walking in this pattern of repentance that, that Jesus is talking about. And the thing is, when we, when we stop grasping with white knuckles and we live in open-handed surrender, it, it makes us into people of love because it is, it is just so hard to love the person next to us. And God, when we're constantly thinking about, why hasn't my life turned out the way I wanted it? And I can tell you, I mean, I'm only 37, I'm not that old, but I can already tell you, like, Jesus, over the long run, he, always, he does know best, and he will not let you down. Okay, so that's, that's number two. Repentance, is, it's difficult, but it, it always leads to life, because it's a grace. Okay, and so now number three, and here we start to get more into the, like, the more obviously good news. Um, repentance, it, it is so beautiful. It's so beautiful. And what are a few ways we see this? So first is, it creates a warm community. So think of when everyone in a community in the church, and it's the church alone that has the unique resources of repentance and forgiveness, where we all have that rock-solid footing that 
God sees all of me, and he, he sings over me. He loves me. And repentance is it's the means by which I grow and become a person of love. Now when I come into, a community, into the church, I don't need to posture and pretend like I'm someone I'm not, which it gives, it gives an openness and a warmth in a community. And it can come out a few ways. It can be like you're, you're with a, a few people or a group of people, and instead of just saying like, hey, yeah, I'm kind of struggling with lust, you can just say, hey, I can't stop looking at pornography, and I need help. And be met with a hand that's going to walk with you in that. If you're yelling at your family right before you get to church, not that anyone here has ever done that, um, but if you're, like, you're just at it you know, with your family and then you show them people and you're like, oh, how's it going? Oh, it's good. Like, you, you can actually just say, guys, I'm having a really hard time loving my family. Can you help me and be met with a loving hand? It could be maybe described as less of a like specific words, but more of a feeling. So when you go to, a, say, a community group or a Bible study where a group is posturing, they're not marked by repentance, you leave feeling like, wow, those people knew a lot about the Bible, and they really have their life together. I'll never be able to be like that. When you leave a community group or a Bible study that, that's marked by repentance, you leave thinking, what a great group. And the Bible is so incredible. I can't wait. To, to learn more about it and the God who wrote these scriptures. So it creates a warm community. Number two, repentance, it, it blesses other people. And so here, see Jesus uses this language about unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth, verse 24, and it dies. So he's describing his, his death, but he's also describing our death, walking repentance. It says it remains alone, but if it dies, it bear, bears much fruit, i.e., as you're living a life, denying self, denying that me-first impulse, living to God and other people, it bears fruit, which in John's gospel, largely speaking, is it, it leads to love for the people around you and love for God. And as I think about in my own life, and I just, I, this really isn't fun sharing something like this, but I just try to share it to show you guys that pastors need this too. Um, so it took, my, it took my wife and I over eight years to have children, and You'd think as a result of this, I'd be a really good dad. But it's far more than is enjoyable to admit, um, or far more than I care to admit. It took me a really long time uh, once my kids finally came to not just profess with my mouth, but with my body and my actions show that spending time with my children on the living room floor with my phone off is far more important than the demands of ministry in my job, as important as that is. Uh, few, if any, will remember a servant I've ever given. My kids will remember if their dad was with there on the living room floor. And to, to put boundaries around my evenings and Sabbath to help my wife. This took a long time, guys. Um, and in part, I share this because repentance is not just like, oh, click, overnight it happens. But in the power of the Spirit, over a few years, and I still want to grow, Kelsey and I recently just went out, we were doing a deep dive on our marriage, just talking about things were going well, as we could grow, and Kelsey just said, hey, you know, in the beginning, when we first had kids, I felt like I was the only one giving, and she's right. She's like, you know, more like over the past year and some change, I've just, I've seen you change, I just want to thank you, because it's breathed so much life into me and our children, and this is what repentance does. We actually change slowly but certainly over time. It blesses other people. And so for you, 
It just what might be a relationship that you're in? It could be a coworker, it might be a family member, someone you share a roof with, where your lens is just dominantly me first. And how can with community and through the Holy Spirit just begin to be less me first and more, hey, this is, I'm laying aside my preferences for you, okay, and I'm here, and I'm not going anywhere. And that this, it's beautiful because it blesses other people. Number three, why is repentance beautiful? Not just because of the community it forms, not just because it blesses other people, but because it flows from Jesus who sees you, flows from Jesus who sees you. And see here in verse 21, I love this, uh, the Greeks, they, they send the disciples to Jesus with a request. They say, sir, we wish to see Jesus. This should be the ask of every person of a church leader on Sunday, by the way. Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Okay, not, you're great, okay, but Jesus, Jesus is who we want to see. Sir, we, we wish to see Jesus. And Jesus responds with, he, he says, go tell them, verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And uh, any spoiler alert in John's gospel, any time that Jesus talks about the hour or his hour, he's talking about his death. And so what he's saying is, okay, you, you want to see me? Well, first you need to know that I've seen you. Okay, first you need to see that even before you were born, I, I saw you. I, I love you, and I'm, I'm giving up my life for you. And so if you want to see me, you need to see you're already loved. And this helps with repentance and change. How so? Uh, there was an article that uh, a friend of mine uh, alerted me to recently, and it's an article, it, it took place locally, I believe it was Loudoun County, and it's a story about a 14-year-old boy, or at least he was 14 at the time of the article, who's autistic. And at age four, this boy lost his ability to speak. And like often, from what I've gathered, like what often happens with autistic individuals, a lot of people just begin to assume that this person wasn't, this child, he wasn't all there. He was just kind of intellectually blank. And he, he, he couldn't communicate at all, so he wasn't giving any indications that, that, that he was all there. And 10 years went by of him not being able to speak or communicate. But his parents refused to, his parents refused to believe that he wasn't all there, and so they stuck with him. They you know, tried everything under the sun to try to help him speak and communicate, and they recently had a breakthrough. And it turns out this boy, he's, he's highly intelligent, and he's been aware of everything going on ever since he was four years old, and he submitted an article to the New York Times that ran uh, that one runner-up in an essay contest, and... And here's what, he, here's what he writes in, the, in his essay as he's talking about his experience. He says, Before this year, I was locked inside. I couldn't share my sense of humor. I couldn't tell anyone I suffered in silence. Do you know what it feels like to not be able to talk? It felt so lonely. It was frustrating to not be able to tell anyone I was actually in there. I thought I would end up in an institution, a dumb boy who needs to be locked up, like Gollum, retreating into his cave. I like this guy. He likes Lord of the Rings. (laughs) (laughs) To be seen is to be known, and I am unknown, like a boy who who is invisible. 
this child for 10 years was invisible to everybody except his parents. And what everybody else saw as an empty shell, his parents saw as a deep person who wanted to be loved. What everyone else saw as just flailing limbs, his parents saw as a cry for an attempt to, to communicate. And his parents' sight saved this boy, right? perhaps literally from being locked up and certainly emotionally from feeling discarded. And, you know, for you, <clears throat> do you feel unseen in some way? Or like there's a part of you that no one will ever be able to understand? Or maybe you actually, a part of you that you don't want people to understand or see because you're afraid if they did see it, <clears throat> they'd back away. And the, the message of this book, as weird and as difficult as it can be to read, is that there is somebody who sees. His name is Jesus. And he sees all of you. He understands the parts of you that you can't stand or that hurt so much far better even than you understand yourself. He sees the parts of you that you tried to hide from others and he says, yes, I've come to heal those parts too. And it's this sight of Jesus that compelled him to leave his throne on high and become a human being. It's this sight of Jesus on you that compelled him to have his arms nailed to a cross and stay there. And it's this sight of Jesus through the power of God the Father that led him to rise from the dead. And it's this sight of Jesus that beckons to you now to come and follow him. And see, repentance, it can be so hard because either A, I'm afraid that if I actually reveal this part of myself to God or another person, I'll either be discarded or I'll still feel invisible. Like this boy, but Jesus demolishes that lie. Or another part of why repentance is so hard is because it can just be so hard to live in surrender to Jesus. Because sometimes it often seems like he doesn't know what he's doing. Okay, but he's proven that he does know what he's doing. He's proven that he sees you. And he gives you repentance as a grace that's all of life, it's difficult, but it is so beautiful and it's most beautiful because of who the person is that you're walking toward every time you repent. Let's pray. <clears throat> uh, Lord Jesus, I thank you that you're, you are so clear. You are so clear with your calling in our lives um, to come and die to self and live to you, but also equally and, and more clear you're clear in how much you, you delight in us. Help us to, to believe that. I pray for, pray for Portico, Lord. Um, I, I love this church, God. And I know that you love it uh, far more than its leaders do or that I do. And so I pray that you will help them uh, meet each person where they're at. Help them to grow in repentance. And me as well. And it's in your, son, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.